0: It's time. Living paranormal. Real stories. Real investigators. No scripts.
1: From legends to hauntings.
0: Is Rob. and I'm Jason and welcome back to Living Paranormal. Guys, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been here, but uh, thank you for your patience, sticking in there with us. Uh, Jason, if it, it, it feels wonderful to be back, man, this is just kind of like old home to me now. It, it, it's uh, almost an awakening to come back to this. And man, do we ever have a great show to come back with, I might ask. I know. But first of all, Jason, how, how was your
2: week, man? Oh man, my, my
0: several weeks, they've been fantastic, but
2: I've had been able to spend time with my son and just uh, really just relax and, and do my thing. So I'm, I'm just, just Loving it! I'm loving life right now. Living the dream. Living the dream. What about yourself?
0: Well, you know, I'm uh, for those of you that follow the show. I had knee surgery about a week and a half ago, and I'm actually doing pretty well. I'm still not allowed to put weight on it for another eh, two and a half weeks or so. But yeah, you know, on the bright side, it, it already feels better than it did. But, guys, you know, if you're listening to us live, you've got to be in one of two places. I'm going to tell you where you're at. Ironically enough, I also work as a roadmap. You're either tuned into us at livingparanormal.com forward slash live, which is the home of our regular weekly show where we have our wonderfully active, usually active chat room. You can find us here on Sunday nights between 9 and 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Eastern Daylight Time, or as I like to call that, 8 p.m. Jason Time. So you can find us in this area then. (laughs) You may also be listening to us at freedomrocksradio.com. Freedomrocksradio.com is the home of Of the best DJed music you're going to find on the Internet. If you're tired of Pandora telling you what you should listen to, then come on over to FreedomRocksRadio.com because we have live DJs there ready to acquiesce your request. Jason, where else can they find us? Well, if you want to find the archive copies of our shows, you can certainly tune into us over at
2: www.livingparanormal.com. Over at uh, livingparanormal.com, click on past shows and you're able to find our complete archive of over 118 episodes spanning over two years and if you're interested in that one special guest let's say for instance you miss the uh, show with uh, Barry Fitzgerald or Bill Bean or even tonight's show Shame on you, by the way, for missing tonight's wonderful show. But if you did, all you have to do is go to the search bar at the very bottom of our intro page and type in the name of your guest or even the book that we discussed. And we will have links to that in the show and in the show notes. We'll bring it right up. So uh, if you want to find us over on Facebook, of course, you can look us over at Facebook.com slash Living Paranormal show don't forget to add the word show to the end of that uh and also if you want to send us emails show ideas tips tell us how terrible we've been doing you can do that over at contact at livingparanormal.com that's uh contact at living paranormal.com by the way rob did you know that you can find us over on itunes you can
0: iTunes? You you don't say? We're yes, yes, that was terrible. I'm Isn't sorry. that, amazing? <laughs> that was amazing? Amazing.
2: No, but we can actually be found on any of your favorite podcast aggregators. Just do a search for Living Paranormal, and we'll come right on up. Uh, by the way, go ahead and leave us a review if you want. We'd really appreciate it.
0: But Rob, can can I can I can I do go ahead and do the intro tonight, please? Oh, you know what? Go ahead. Go ahead, because we have. A tremendous show. I have been looking forward to this one for, I can't tell you how long, Jason. And uh, I, I'm, I'm I, yeah, let's let's go ahead and let you do it. Okay. Right. Enjoy yourself. <laughs> Indulge yourself, sir, please. <laughs> well, I just, I'm sorry
2: for cutting the intro so short, but I really have to get on with this one because I, I'm just so pumped for tonight's show. You know, Rob, right back in 2013, The Conjuring actually hit the dark corners of theaters worldwide. It followed the story of a growing family moving into a picturesque farmhouse atop 200 sprawling acres, and as the former owner handed the keys of the estate over to the new buyer, Mr. Perrone, he left the owner with an ominous phrase, leave the lights on at night. Tonight, we're going to speak with the eldest daughter of that Perrone household, Miss Andrea Perrone, and we'll find out what happened that night and the many nights thereafter. So I want everyone to welcome, give a warm Living Paranormal Welcome to tonight's wonderful guest, Miss Andrea Perrone. Thank you so much, Miss Perrone, for coming on. Oh,
3: thank you so much. And please call me Andrea and all my friends and my tribe call me Annie. So whatever you're comfortable with, but I am the most disarming, most informal person you'll ever meet. So uh, we'll we'll keep it casual and comfortable and. Uh, absolutely organic, and you can just um, hammer away, ask me one question after another, you'll get an honest answer, and uh, even, you know, and there'll be some people out there that go, oh, oh my god, she actually said that? But yes, I actually will. Um, and the reason is because, you know, I, I look at the big picture here, um, you know, I, I think uh, exo-politics, uh, it's global for me, and for me, this is a And the mission is to let people know that uh, the message I bear is one of hope and peace and love. And, you know, we spent 10 years in that farmhouse. Uh, Rob, Jason, I can't even begin to tell you what it's like to grow up paranormal. Uh, (laughs) It is an amazing, amazing uh, experience. And... I, uh, I want to share it with people now. It's, uh, we waited 30 years to tell our story, 30 years yeah. before I put pen to paper, uh, because we had to process what we went through as a family, and the world had to be ready for what we went through as a family. Um, uh, there will be naysayers, there will be skeptics, but I truly believe that the vast majority of those people are just fear-based carbon units, and they're scared to death that I'm telling the truth. So I let that go. And for those who are ready to hear the message, for those who are open minded and are willing to consider the possibilities that we live in a multi dimensional universe, not a 3D, five sensory realm called Earth, um, that when they understand that and they're open to that, those are the people that I'm doing this show for, yourself included.
2: Absolutely. Excellent. Yeah, that's, amen <laughs> you know- to that. Go ahead, Rob. What do you yeah. say? Uh,
0: Jason? And I are just both so excited to be able to talk to you about this tonight. We're kind of stepping over each other, so <laughs> forgive us for that. Because normally we're a very well oiled machine. Okay, I'm lying. We're not. Yeah, Th- we This cold. is how it normally yeah. goes. <laughs> but, you know, Andrea, we uh, we've had a, a couple of guests on before that have had similar experiences in their youth. Uh, you know. It seems to me that it can do one of two things to people, and I would kind of like your take on this, because we know, for example, with Bill Bean, who's a a friend of the show, he's been on multiple times, he grew up in a a similar type of oppression to what you experienced, and we know that he has since uh, moved into the field of being a deliverance minister. It seems like when you grow up in this type of an atmosphere, it either makes you stone-cold hard want to help people, or it just completely shatters your world. Is there ever an in-between between those two extremes?
3: Um, possibly there is, because I think that, you know, anything is possible. I think that if it is possible, that I have found that happy place. Um, you know, there's no question that there were times in our family, um, that we were shattered, um, individually and collectively, uh, by things that we saw, things that we experienced. Uh, it was, there were some very difficult times, but there were also wonderful times at the farm, and we learned, uh, the seven of us learned everything that we needed to know about life and death and the afterlife wow. living in that house. And for me personally, at the tender age of 12 years old, I came to uh, conceptualize and understand that there is something beyond our mortal existence, and I have always found that to be an extremely comforting thing. Um, piece of knowledge, probably the most important knowledge of my life. Um, when I saw a full-body apparition that I mistook as a human being until he disappeared, um, uh, just that solid, uh, I wow. knew that there was something absolutely magical about the place. And even though there were there was malevolent activity in the house as well, uh, there was also kindness and generosity and support and there were spirits in that house that loved us.
1: Right. And
3: I'll tell you, you know, even Bill might say, "Oh yeah, but you know, they can disguise, uh, you know, their their intentions and, and yada yada." Well, we lived with them for 10 years, so we <laughs> knew them, and right. we we made our peace with them. So, you know, I know Bill very well, and Bill's story is is similar in some respects to our own. Um, which I think is also a point of clarification and validation, too, because these people like uh, myself and my family uh, and Bill that are brave enough to put this out into the world are brave enough to uh, put uh, a family reputation on the line, a personal reputation on the line to just, you know, to throw caution to the wind and tell the truth is a courageous thing to do. Uh, and Bill did it first, you know. So, I mean, for me, he was... Um, somebody that was um, like a mentor and a role model for me at a distance because uh, he did have the wherewithal to tell his story to the world. And I give him uh, great uh, encouragement and congratulations for doing that. And there are others, too. You know, Carmen Reed, who I'm friends Mm -hmm. with. John Zappas knows everything that... uh, ever happened in terms of the work of his aunt and uncle, the Warrens. Right. Uh, You know, these people are all my personal friends, and we spend, you know, hours and hours talking about our own experiences and sharing uh, in a way that is, I would say, therapeutic, if not cathartic. Um, It's wonderful when we go to these big events together, and, you know, when everybody finally settles down and we're all sitting around a table in the wee hours, you'd be amazed what people share with each other. That when they know that there was someone who has had, who is not only like-minded, but who has also had like experiences, and so they know it is safe to do so, and that they will be believed, and that there are no authorities in the paranormal, and we can bounce ideas off of each other, Mm -hmm. uh, because there are no experts. You know, this is a field of study that is still pseudoscience, but every bit of accepted science that exists in the world now began as pseudoscience and I think that ultimately the answers about what we've experienced and the the, um, crossing over between dimensions that occurs in a house like the one I grew up in uh, happens with purpose and reason. I do believe that we were placed there, um, that this was some kind of a cosmic conspiracy, that our family was supposed to have this experience, and then we were supposed to process it, and then we were supposed to release it out into the world. I really do believe that, and I always will. Um, it, too many pieces of the puzzle had to fall together absolutely perfectly for everything to have happened the way that it did, and for it to have come to fruition the way that it has.
2: Absolutely. And what's really fascinating is, you know, first off, I have to say, you mentioning yourself, Bill Bean, John Zaffis, everybody gather on that table. That is a self-help group. I would love to sit in to listen to that conversation.
1: Because that's the most interesting. Right? Could you imagine?
2: <laughs> that, but I like, just sit well, me with the know, Good
3: luck getting the word in edgewise and, you know, and and, and breathing between, the, you know, uh, confident laughter. You know, I have to say, one of the things that I love love, love about the paranormal community is that it seems to me the happiest people on the planet are the ones that are obsessed with death and the afterlife. <laughs> it just I I have so true. never met such jovial, such optimistic, um, uplifted human beings as I have since I began writing our books and telling our story. Uh, Now, gosh, uh, I published the last one in 2014, so uh, it's seven, nine years. It's nine years I've been working on this project.
0: That is Now a th- let me ask you Go this ahead. when 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 you sat down to write these the, the three the three novels yeah, yeah, that you right. did write what was it along the lines of you know trying to get out the rest of the story because you mentioned that you know there was a lot of uh, of course when we were talking earlier um, that there was a lot of changes that had to be made before this came out and as we heard also once again ironically enough with Bill Bean it seemed like that Hollywood decided to tame this a little bit was this more of a of a way of you trying to get the rest of the story out there
3: Well, I had already, um, when when I was contacted uh, initially by um, a producer, I was already into writing Volume 1, but I thought I was writing the book. I thought that it would be one book. And the more that my family was forthcoming, and the more stories that came, and the more memories that surfaced, and, and the more we interacted with each other and engaged in the subject matter. Um, I mean, I was writing furiously. There were sometimes hours that I would sit, and my sister Cindy would sit next to me um, at the computer, and I would type until, I, until it felt like my fingertips were numb. I mean, she would just... Uh, fill out her stories. And I wanted to get as much as I could verbatim. I did that with Christine. I did that with Nancy. I did it with April. I did it with my mother and my father. And I took copious notes. I have six notebooks filled with their stories. And and then I had to take all of this and compile it into, um, you know, one elongated decade plus. Because the first book begins before we even move to the farm, and the last book ends after we've left the farm, and what the repercussions of that were. So it's it's a very extensive treatment of a very complicated, convoluted, uh, you know, a multitude of characters, living and dead. Uh, It really is a, a saga. It, you know, an epic Absolutely. saga mm-hmm. in, in the truest sense of the word, you know? I mean, <laughs> the, right. the Iliad and the Odyssey look kind of, you know, slim. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but it needed to be that way. It needed to be what it is, um, right. because it tells our whole complete story. There are only maybe two or three episodes uh, that occurred at the house that were deliberately left out of the trilogy, uh, because my sisters um, felt that the incident was either too traumatic uh, or it was just too personal or it was just too painful um, to share it. And so, and we all know what those are. Um, right. But, but it doesn't take anything away from House of Darkness, House of Light to have those very few personal deletions. I'd say about 98% of every significant event that occurred in the farm is chronicled in those three books. And it is not for the faint of heart. It is a difficult read. You know, uh, anybody that tackles it, I give them, you know, all credit for doing so because it wasn't written for everyone. But I will tell you that it has a mysterious way of finding the people that are supposed to read it. It finds them or they find it, but they come together and a multitude of lives have been changed already. Uh, because of the trilogy. I, I received the most inspiring letters from people uh, saying they felt like, you know, I took them by the hand and took them back in time, and they lived there at the farm with us, that they were so engrossed with the family that they, they know us all personally. They feel a kinship and a, a profound spiritual connection with our family. I receive letters all the time from people telling me that uh, it freed them, it liberated them to tell their own experiences that they had kept secret for a lifetime. You know, this is powerful stuff. Right. This is the kind of thing that moves mountains. This is the kind of thing that expands human consciousness. And that's why I put everything on the line, including my own personal reputation, to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And in this particular case, The truth is stranger than fiction, and The Conjuring is fiction.
2: Right, right. No, and that's actually what I was gonna. What I was gonna say. If you juxtapose the cover of your book versus, let's say, the cover of the movie, the movie cover, of course, is always gonna be there to try to grab your attention, to try to get it. Your book cover is so unassuming; it's merely the picture of the home. It has volume one, two, and three for the three volumes of the book for House of Darkness, House of Light, and uh, I love that because it belies. It's kind of like still waters. You're not. You don't know what's yeah. in store for you until you crack open those pages and start pouring in and and start reliving some of or living some of that that horror with you. And what I was wondering if we could for a moment. <clears throat> excuse me uh, actually go a little bit into the into the home a bit if you don't mind because I, I know Hollywood got to tell its version of the story and invariably what happens there is that they leave a great deal out or maybe even add a few things in as storytelling devices and I know a lot of fans of the movie some of which who had heard that you were coming on the show tonight even came up and gave me some questions for you so I was wondering if I could ask you a few questions about the movie if it's okay we can actually go into uh, uh, one of the fundamental things that I really wanted to know in the movie uh they actually in the movie they explain uh, they give a history for the home and they involve a character uh, specifically the character of bethsheba and what i was wondering mm-hmm. is is what is the true history behind the home was there a character named bethsheba that was that had killed a baby and what, what exactly happened with the history of the home
3: well you know the thing is um Bathsheba Sherman lived at the Sherman Farm, which, as the crow flies, was less than a mile away from our farm, the Arnold Estate. Um, And she had, uh, you know, um, people during that time, she lived during the 1800s, 1812 to 1885. Um, She died of a stroke. Um, She was paralyzed by a stroke. And um, she is not the spirit that was coming after my mother. Um, I, I feel absolutely certain of that. My whole entire family uh, is in complete agreement that it wasn't her. Um, Mrs. Warren walked into our house, unbeknownst to my mother, uh, who had no idea who they were when they showed up at our door. Uh, a young man named Keith Johnson is the one who had come to the house first, and he's the one that told Mr. and Mrs. Warren about the trials and travails we were having there. Um, and they came the night before Halloween in 1973. So we'd already lived there for a couple of years. Uh, and she walked into the house knowing nothing, knowing nothing about the history of the house, and walked over to our old black still, put her hand on the corner of it, uh, and seemed to be feeling the vibration of the cast iron. Uh, it, mm. was, it was almost like she was connecting with... The stove and she covered her eyes and she said, I sense a malignant presence in this house. Her name is Bathsheba. Now, because of that, that's why she, uh, you know, and my mother then subsequently told her that the town historian at the time, Mr. McEachern, had told her of the story of Bathsheba Sherman and uh, that, you know, her connection to the house and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, this is all hearsay. This is all, you know, this gentleman said that, and that that lady at the grocery store told my mother this, and so on and so forth. And so she's integrated into the story. But um, what we were told at the time when we lived at the farm was that she was, um, that there was a tribunal of sorts, that there was an inquest, because she was involved or had something to do do with the death of a baby in the house. We don't know if it was her own baby or if it was another baby or, or who this infant belongs to, but uh, he told my mother that there was uh, a death of an infant in the house, and she was the one caring for the infant. And as the caretaker, of course, she was questioned. Um, and when the baby was autopied, it was found there was a needle impaled at the base of its solved and its cause of death was convulsion. Um, Now, I don't understand all of the ramifications of that uh, in terms of the way the court system in the day worked. This was in the early 1800s, but from what I understand and what Mr. McKeachin told my mother, um, that the inquest uh, occurred in Chapatchit because the town was not incorporated yet, it was still part of a a larger northern territory of Rhode Island. And so the next big town, which was Chapachick to the south, is where an inquest occurred. Uh, The judge did not find that there was sufficient evidence to take it to trial. It was dismissed, but in the court of public opinion uh, Bathsheba Sherman was tried and convicted of uh, child uh, infanticide. Wow. Um, now, it's, uh, it's because the movie is based on the case files of Ed and Lorraine Warren, and it's because the screenwriters and the producers locked in and honed in on this name that they saw repeatedly in her notes that they came up with their own third story. Uh, For instance, um, in the movie, they've got Bathsheba um, hanging herself from a tree. She did not. That's not how she died. She died of paralysis from a stroke. Um, And they've got her having a child in 1863, when she was, in fact, well beyond childbearing years. She had four children in life, three of whom died before the age of four. Uh, And only one child survived, uh, survived her, which was her son, Herbert. Um, and they're all buried in the Riverside Cemetery together in uh, the middle of Harrisville. Um, Now, there was a lot of folklore and legend, and that's a lot about what the story... It it integrates that in the story that I wrote, because I wanted there to be a lesson in it, and that is that words are powerful, that words, words can be used as weapons, that the word witch thrown around inappropriately can cost a woman her life. Right. Uh, You know, that that was all part of it. And in in fact, in Volume 3, there's a whole entire chapter uh, called Season of the Witch, and it goes back throughout the course of history to the first references that were ever made to witchcraft in the uh, Middle Ages in England, and everything that happened up to the time that Bathsheba... Um, had that word thrown at her in life. Now, of course, again, this is all the folklore of the town, the legend behind her. Uh, nobody knows for sure what exactly happened, but I came, I think, as close as you can come to absolving someone of, you know, that kind of a critique uh, or that kind of... Um, uh, Label. Accusation. Right. Yes, Um because I don't, I think she got a really raw deal, and I know she got a really raw deal in the movie. Yeah, it and, seems... you know, I'm in touch with the spirit. She, she was very, very unhappy about the movie, but she was a vain woman in life, and she's vain in death. And the reason <laughs> that she was uh, unhappy about the movie is because um, a man played her. And she took great exception to that. She did not like that at all, nor the way she was portrayed.
2: Right. Well, I think what's interesting and and sad at the same time is that that character assassination came right back around all these years later. And she was unfortunately victimized the second time by the movie. So I can understand that. Wow. Now in the movie, things ramp up pretty quickly. And, and of course, for the sake of time, (laughs) they're going to have to, but I can't imagine. Were you seeing things the day you moved in or how did things start up? Did they slowly ramp up all the, all the activity? Uh,
3: No, actually um, in terms of the film, and a reality about that, you know, my father was not warm and fuzzy and welcoming to the Warrens. He didn't want anything to do with them. He thought they were charlatans. He sh- thought that they were out to exploit our family, um, and he didn't believe in ghosts. And he didn't want any part of them. Um, he just, uh, I, my father was uh, the opposite of how he was portrayed in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother took great, you know, I thought my mom didn't even watch the movie until a year after it came out. Really? On DVD. Yeah. Wow. She, and, and none of us wanted her to see it, okay. um, uh, because we just thought, you know, that her representation in it as someone who, who, would even be capable of, you know, holding a pair of sharp scissors over the heart of her youngest child oh, right. is, is happy absurd mm-hmm. it's absurd my mother was not possessed my mother was attacked repeatedly attacked in that house by a spirit that was not Bathsheba Sherman and that's the least of the discrepancies in the film Wow. but you know the, the first day that the um the first day that the trailer I'll just as a, a quick aside I have to tell you this please funny no no story. by all means tell me uh, my mom has a very good sense of humor um, and uh, that, I think, played a great deal in her being able to overcome what she endured in that house. She and Cindy are the ones that endured the most at the farmhouse, without question. Um, and the day that the big trailer, the first big trailer came out for The Conjuring, I was watching it on the computer, and I had the sounds turned way down because I didn't want to draw attention to it. And I was here at this house in Villa Rica, Georgia, where I am right now. Um, uh, I'm, right now I'm visiting, but at the time I lived here. And so I called Christine over, my sister Chris, it's her little farm that, uh, that I'm at, and said, oh, the trailer came out, you want to see it? And she said, yeah, she said, keep it small, keep it down. And so we turned the screen to the computer and kind of stood and, and we were watching it and listening and my mother came into the room and she's like, uh, what are you doing?
1: <laughs> and <we> said, <laughs> uh nothing
3: nothing she's like what are you watching that you don't want me to see so we turned the screen back around and I plopped down back in my chair and I said it's just the trailer to the movie mom she's like uh, she crosses her arms she says make it large screen I said you don't even know how to turn on a computer where did you learn that <laughs> phrase you know make it large screen um and
1: <laughs> <Nice>.
3: <laughs> and so we did and we played it and it was the scene where you know she where Lily Taylor is dressed in that hideous orange geometric skirt and oh, yes. um and so and so they show the trailer ends and uh we both Christine and and I look at my mother and she just says hmm. I wouldn't have been caught dead in that skirt.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> you, you've got so to love has, that
0: take on it. That's amazing.
1: <laughs>
3: yes, she has retained her sense of style as well as her sense of nice. humor. Nice. Um, but, you know, it was... Uh, it was um, an interesting take on our family. And yes, the, how you said it, it, you know, the Warrens moved in and they were there for a couple of weeks and, and all hell breaks loose. And then uh, Ed conducts uh, an exorcism that never happened. Right. And he would never have done that. He right. was trained merely as an assistant. He was the only layman on the planet that was trained in the Catholic Church and worked directly with exorcists as an assistant. He would never, even Lorraine said to me the day we saw the movie, uh, they gave us a private screening of the film about three months before it opened, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting there next to her and she's like, Ed would never have done that. Ed would, I never told them that they did that. I'm like, honey, it's only a movie.
2: Yeah, it's I'm Hollywood. Like, you
3: know that. I know that. You know, it's okay. And, you know, I mean, she, had, she took exception to some things that were included. That were, you know, obviously made up, yeah. and um, and she was really so hoping that it would be more authentic to what happened.
1: It's but, unfortunate. You know,
3: then but, on the other hand,
1: mm-hmm.
3: it, I'm
2: sorry, what, honey? I was going to say it's unfortunate, but a lot of times Hollywood will do that. They'll they'll just misconstrue things for the sake of that that dollar, in chase of that dollar. But anyone that follows the Warrens' work and has read in their case the the books that they have published about their work would know that about Ed Warren they would understand that he would, you know, how seriously he took that specific right of exorcism and knows he wouldn't do anything of that nature like that, especially out of hand when he's trained as an assistant. But, and I I actually was intrigued that you you pointed out that your father was dramatically different than the way they portrayed him in the movie, because I was saying, wow, this guy is so accepting of the paranormal in the early 70s. I cannot believe that. He's like, oh, well, you know, I'm a bit of a skeptic, but let's go ahead and do this. I just don't understand how they were able To pull that character off in the movie, and I was wondering, that can't be what it was really like because you know. Men, and, no, no. men no. back then were totally different. We didn't talk about our feelings. We you know we were tough guys. We were men, men. You know that kind of thing. That that stereotypical thing, and that doesn't seem like something that would be portrayed across, on the film uh, like it was there. I think that was just uh, that, that was interesting to me. I just had to bring that up. But yeah, you, you were saying that <laughs> yeah. the uh, the activity in the movie was very quick. So the activity itself, did that ramp up quickly in in real life as well?
3: No, uh, it endured for the entire time that we lived at the farm. Um, you know, the film was made to highlight, um, uh, and, uh, you know, in the way that I tried to exonerate Bathsheba in the trilogy, the film tried to validate the work of Ed and Lorraine Warren over the course of their, um, career. And, uh, I think in a, in a way it certainly did that. I mean, they made, you know, let nobody should make any mistake about this. Those two people boldly went where no one had gone before except for Hans Holzer and a very small handful of people, uh, including scientists, who right. had been studying the paranormal back into the 1800s. Um, you know, but this, these were the first people that really put themselves out there and they were extremely faith based. That was the thing my mother took the greatest exception to, by the way, in the film was that, uh, it, it represented, uh, our family as, you know, the parent pagan heathens who had no affiliation with a church, and, and who had no spiritual connection. And nothing could have been further from the truth. My father was born and raised in and a, a very, almost extreme Roman Catholicism, uh, Was um, went to Catholic school, and graduated from Sacred Heart Academy, was an altar boy for his entire youth, and was on his way to the priesthood when he met my mother. And then all bets were off um uh-huh. but he was a devout Catholic and we were all raised Catholic my mother converted to Catholicism from uh, Southern Baptist to marry him and uh, we were all uh, raised in the Catholic tradition we were all baptized we were confirmed uh, we were Catholic as Catholic gets. And just because we didn't have a crucifix hanging every three feet, you know, on, on every wall in the house <laughs> didn't mean that we weren't practicing Catholic. Right. And, you know, so for the film to represent the Warrens as the holier than thou devote Roman Catholic versus the pagan heathen is, does a huge disservice to the community as a whole, because anyone who has immersed to themselves in paranormal in the field uh, of study knows that very often people who are, uh, whether it be targeted, chosen, or, or seem to, you know, have these extreme experiences, are devout people. Um, it's almost it, it almost appears to be a test of faith. True. And... Um, You know, and those that you you don't hear about, you know, you don't hear about people having these experiences and and not having some kind of spiritual connection, a profound spiritual connection. And I will tell you that um, even though we did leave the Catholic Church, it was only because the Catholic Church left us, because the priest in our parish was terrified about what he was hearing that was happening at our house, and wow. he asked my father to take our family and worship elsewhere.
0: Wow! 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 wow that's, 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 that's almost why shocking.
1: That's the church.
0: Yeah, yeah that, wow. that, that, so, that's mean, almost there, shocking. That, that it's unbelievable that a, that a, any type of a minister, whether it be a pastor or a priest, would take that type of an exception, because. It's my understanding, at least, that that's what the church is supposed to be there for, <laughs> right. is to help and heal people. And it kind of comes back to what you were mentioning. I, I've always heard that these type of attacks happen to people that are of faith because why would you attack somebody that's not doing you any harm? The the, the darker sides of whichever religion sees the lighter side as a great threat. So normally that's why there's more of an, a focused attack towards the truer believer than the skeptic or the non-believer would have. So yeah. it kind of makes sense. You don't attack an army that's not hurt hurting you. Yeah, that's right. true. That's true. I mean, you you have instances
2: of this through history. You have Saint Anthony and the demons; uh, they're besieged him in the desert. You also have Anelias Michel uh, in Europe that was uh, famously possessed and unfortunately passed away during the exorcism. You have a lot of instances where there are people that are typically the most pious that are beset this way, and so it makes sense that y'all be the same as well. And you actually answered one of the other questions that I had. You're you're answering questions so rapidly; it's amazing, by the way. But the other one I had was I'm loving it. Yeah, what was your religious upbringing? So now we do know that you know you had a a Roman Catholic upbringing. You were all
0: steeped in religious belief.
2: So that's that's a good thing. And I'm if sure. I am- Go ahead, Rob. Yeah, if
0: I could jump in here real fast, though, I, Andrea, I just wanted to let you know that I already got confirmation that one copy of your first book has already been purchased because of tonight. Uh, uh, <laughs> I uh, jumped on it and said, i got to have this book. I'm not going to say her name, but it was fed back. So thank you for supporting our guests. We definitely appreciate it. So.
3: Oh, I do. I appreciate it. And let me please tell her, uh, thank you very much. Uh, delve in, uh, delve in deeply, but delve in cautiously. Read it slowly. Don't try to rush to get to the scary spots, because believe me, they'll creep up on you. And then you'll miss, if you do that, you'll miss all that's important. Uh, and let me give you a case in point. Um, and it's not a spoiler, because it comes right at the beginning of Volume 1. But I wanted to introduce my, reading, uh, my reader to our family when we were normal. Um, You know, I wanted them to understand that everything happened exactly, precisely the way that it happened, with purpose and reason, to catapult our family to that farm. And one of the really bizarre things that happens in the first 40 or 50 pages, uh, when the reader is introduced to our normal family living in a suburb of Providence, Rhode Island, named Cumberland, Um, and how life was for us growing up in our little Cape cod um, was um, markedly different from the day we arrived at the farm and everything changed. Uh, But I will say this, uh, about two or three years before my mother even founded the farm, um, which was a bizarre set of circumstances in its own right, Uh, My father came home one day with a little puppy, and Mm -hmm. she was a very unusual dog. Uh, She had pointed ears and a curly-cute tail, and she was an African Basenji, a very rare breed in the United States. And he... um, presented her to our family and my mother swept her up into her arms and she said this is a very special dog she deserves an equally special name and she closed her eyes and she tilted her head back to the heavens and when she lowered her head and opened her eyes she said Bathsheba and she named that dog Bathsheba
2: wow now Wow. Yeah.
3: Of all the billions of names out there for her to choose. And, you know, of course, we're all little kids. I was no more than maybe nine or 10 at the time. And so, you know, I'm like, oh, that's a mouthful. Well, you know, we'll just abbreviate it to Bath to Sheba. And that's how we always, we, we, within the years that we had her, uh, we called her Sheba. Um, but her formal proper name, according to my mother, was Bathsheba, and she plucked that name right out of the ether. And wow. that was one of the first things that began a trigger of events, a deluge of events that the reader has to know before we ever step foot on that farm, because otherwise it would have been... Um, Uh, It it, it would not have been the same kind of a revelation as it was. For instance, the first time that we went to visit the farm, none of us wanted to leave after we got there. Nobody had any supernatural event happen to them at all. And we visited the farm a number of times and and got to know Mr. Kenyon very well, who Hmm. was the current owner, who sold it to my parents. Uh, and my mom found it in June of 1970, and we visited there in June, July, August, September, October. You know, I, they closed on the house in November. and uh, No, the first week of December in 1970. And we moved in uh, on January 11th, 1971. My mom wouldn't move during Christmas, and who could blame her? Um, but <laughs> yeah, Mr. Really. Kenyon wasn't ready to move out. He, he didn't want to leave the place. His son forced him to sell the house, and he wanted our family to have it. And it was a veritable love fest. I mean, he adored mm-hmm. us, the kids, and he was very, uh, really tight with both of my parents, and I just adored my mother. And, you know, there was this this uh, real emotional connection that we had with the place and the first time that we left it, uh, many people say it's one of their their very favorite sections of any of the three books is describing what happened the first day that we as a family went to the farm and it was as if we weren't supposed to leave. It was, everything was surreal. It was like a one deja vu experience after another, after another. It was when we got back to um, it was surreal driving back from Harrisville to Cumberland and driving down uh, our little Mohawk Street to our Cape Cod house down at the bottom of the hill. Uh, everything seemed different. Everything seemed like it was in a, a different place, but like it was on a different planet. Everything looked so small. Um, it was uh, a really an amazing experience, and I didn't realize for decades that the magic had already begun right that we had already been touched by that place and that we had fallen in love with a, a portal cleverly disguised as a farmhouse.
2: Wow amazing. it almost it almost seems as if you didn't buy a home, you all bought a, a your destiny. you were just destined to be yes. within that home and fate conspired to bring the both of you all together meaning the home and your family. That's amazing that's yes. that's fascinating that's amazing Wow.
0: Yeah now now one of the things that you have covered with us so we we kind of got your feedback on the movie itself and uh, as well as you know a little bit about what your mother at least thought of the trailer and uh, her wonderful attire <laughs> that you had mentioned <laughs> but what did the rest of the family feel about the movie uh, as far as for example your father your siblings the the others that were involved in it was was it the same type of a uh, yeah this isn't really quite right type feeling or
3: well we all went in um, level-headed. We all are r- relatively pragmatic people, um, and I would even dare to say scientifically-minded. So when you look at, uh, you know, the dynamics around putting a major motion picture together, um, you know that there's going to be some element of the Hollywood formula, that uh, there's going to be method acting, that there's going to be, uh, you know, the, this type of... Um, you know, they're putting this out for consumption right. to the masses. So right. it, it's going to try to fit a certain mold. And that's the thing about our story. It doesn't fit into any mold. And we all understood that it would be absolutely inconceivable that they could compress 10 years into two hours. Right. So we were forewarned. We went out to the set um, when they were shooting in North Carolina. And both of the screenwriters, twin brothers, Chad and Carrie Hayes, approached me and they said, Andrea, we have devoured your books, devoured your books. And, you know, and I gave them everything. Volume one was already in the public domain. Volume two was published uh, while they were writing the screenplay, and I was working on Volume 3, so I provided them with everything, because I wanted the story to be told as authentically as possible, Mm -hmm. and they said that they were told to tone it down, because if they told the real story, it would run people out of the theaters, and they would have people, you know, having heart attacks in the theater, and they just couldn't have that. So, again, fundamentally, fear is what decided what the screenplay was going to actually be. Um, and it was, you know, the fear of corporate executives, the fear of producers, the fear <laughs> right. of, you know, I I have to say, um, just as an aside, James Wan, I was mortified when I heard that James Wan was going to be directing the film.
1: Really? Because
3: I only knew him by reputation. I had never seen any of his work uh, because I don't watch films like that.
1: Right. But,
3: um I knew that, you know, I, the first thing I said to the producer who called me and said that James was coming on to the project, uh, I said to him, Rob, his name's Rob Cohen, I said, Rob, don't tell me you just hired the king of slasher porn to make my intimate family story. I <laughs> wow. mean, that was exactly verbatim what I said to him. I'm not known for pulling punches. And he's like, oh no no you don't understand. He's an aficionado of the Warrens, and when he read your story, it just blew his mind, and he's totally on board, and he wants it, you know. And he starts giving me this litany of why James Wan was the absolute perfect person to direct The Conjuring, and I had to swallow my words and tell Rob point blank, uh, in full blown apology, that James Wan absolutely was the person to direct. The Conjuring. I thought he did a masterful job. He is a very mature, very steady-handed individual. Extremely intellectual. Uh, he is. He's got his. He is totally together. Totally together. And um, our biggest worry as a family was that the kids were going to be traumatized making this movie in the same way that we were traumatized growing up in that environment. And James Wan treated those children like he birthed to them all himself. And Uh, it was absolutely magnificent in the way that he worked with them and how, you know, chilled out the entire environment was when they weren't filming and their parents were there. I mean, there was a support system around them second to none. And so, you know, all I have to give you know, congratulations to the team that put this together. And there, there were also things about The Conjuring that a lot of people don't know, and what I call the cosmic kisses, the things that tell me from the universe that it was absolutely right and proper for The Conjuring to be made the way that it was, or it would have been made another way with mm. different actors and a different director and a different crew. It was made perfectly the way that it was, because otherwise it would have been a different film.
1: Sure. And
3: Lily Taylor threw her whole heart and soul into playing my mother, Carolyn. Uh, and I thought she was overlooked for uh, in the award season that followed, because um, I thought she did a really remarkable job. My mother suffered enormously in that house, and people come away with that impression. But there were things that happened at our house that nobody knew about that worked on that movie. Nobody knew because they weren't in the books.
1: And right. the first
3: thing was that um, our our dog that we brought with us to the farm in 1971 was um, not Bathsheba. She had already been killed oh. in, um, in Cumberland, which is part of the reason why we ended up at the farm, um, because of her tragic, inexplicable death. And as soon as we moved to the farm, our dog, my dog Schultz, um, was bizarrely killed at the farm. Um, and I thought it was so morose and such a horrible thing to have happened to our family, you know, virtually back-to-back, losing our precious Bathsheba and then losing my dog that was a gift from my best friend to help me, you know, come to... To deal with my grief over right. Bathsheba. Right. Um, and then, you know, for him to die the way that he did at the farm within a couple of weeks of us moving in was uh, absolutely mind blowing. And so I chose not to include it in the book because I didn't want it to be so morose that a reader would say, oh, I can't handle this. I can't even handle this. This is too sad. And yet, right at the beginning of our, you know, of our moving in, to uh, in the film they have Sadie the dog dying an inexplicable death and uh, you know I looked at my sister Cindy who I took with me to see the the preview that Warner Brothers so graciously afforded us Mm -hmm. and she looked at me and she said did you ever tell them about Schultz I said no honey I never did it's not in the book she's like I know it's not in the book but did you tell them? And I said, no, honey, I didn't. She's like, well, how could how they know? Wow. How could they know? Yeah. You know, and um, I have a picture my mother's friend, Fran, who is a, an integral part of the trilogy. Um, she uh, met my mother after we moved to the farm and they became, you know, fast friends, the best of friends. And we got to know her and her family very, very well. And on my 13th birthday, we moved there when I was 12. On my 13th birthday, we were out at a, um, at a flea market uh, in Foster, Rhode Island, and I saw a picture, a drawing. It probably is pink by number for all I know. I just loved it. <laughs> it was a folk art drawing of a white cat, and I just loved it. And it was 50 cents, and my mom didn't have 50 cents to buy it for me. And Fran bought it for me and gave it to me for oh, my that's
1: birthday. that's nice. That's and,
3: nice. And I have that hanging in my office to this day. It has been with me my whole life. Wow. And when they go to the top part of the house in The Conjuring and they round the corner into Shanley Caswell's bedroom, who plays me, there's that same exact picture sitting up on the mantelboard And nobody wow. who had anything to do with that film, uh, including the set designer, knew anything about my possession of that picture.
1: Wow. And it's
3: one thing after another, after another. They chose out of 25,000 different patterns of wallpaper. They chose the one pattern that we had in the house, and they never saw any photographs of the inside of the house to wow. compare it with. You oh. know, I mean, these are things that tell me, you know, this is just, you know, little, little flecks of light right. infused into a dark story uh, that tell me that this was the way that our story could go out in the world unlike any other way. If it hadn't been for The Conjuring, House of Darkness, House of Light, the trilogy, would be languishing in obscurity, just like a thousand other books. You know, and and people would, and it is unassuming. It is understated. You know, the the folk art drawing of the farmhouse that's done on the cover of the books Mm -hmm. was done by a friend of ours from high school, who was so devastated when our family moved away that, and cause he had grown up at the farm too, John Shaw, a good friend of our family. And, um, and he was so heartbroken that we moved, that he was an artist and he went home that summer and he, spent hours and hours in his studio, and he painted from memory the farm as he remembered growing up at the farm. And then he had it professionally framed, and he drove it from Rhode Island to Georgia to present it as a gift to my family in the summer of 1980 after we left.
1: That's something. you know I
3: mean uh, talk about sentimental value. No of kidding. Of course it's the cover of the book. Absolutely. What else
1: could it be? You know. <laughs> no
2: doubt. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's such a great story, and it ties that in very well, or so well to the to the cover of the book. And it just that's that's not. I hope you explain that story, within <laughs> within the books the, the the origin of the of the cover. Do you get an opportunity to cover that in the book? And I, I must yeah. confess. Okay. Uh,
3: it's yeah, it's on the cover of all of the books, all three. Right. Okay. I mean, the, the story of John Shaw and bringing it to us there, yeah, it's part of the book. Good. And, uh, you know, it, it is uh, the ties that we still have in the town of Burrowville, in the village of Harrisville, where we grew up. Uh, are, it's, it's incredible. I mean, I was just up there a couple of weeks ago for the Ocean State Paracon that we do every year at the Assembly Theater in the middle of the village of Harrisville. It's as bucolic and pristine uh, a New England village as you would ever imagine laying your eyes on. It is absolutely magnificent. What an incredible place to grow up. And we do this huge um, Paracon there now. Uh, We just finished our third year uh, at that setting. Um, and so I get to go home. I That's get to go fantastic. home. And you can't even imagine the people, the thousands of, of readers and supporters that I have, that I grew up with. And these are kids that are now adults my age who say, I remember when you told me about that on the bus. I remember, oh, my God, I was reading this part in this book, and I remember that morning, and you were so tired, and I knew something had happened, but you didn't tell me what it was until, you know, so much later. And, you know, I mean, it's personal to so many people who knew, our friends, who knew what was going on in that house while we were experiencing it, that it is absolutely mind-blowing for them to read the trilogy now because imagine. it takes them right back to their childhood and to times that they spent at the farm.
2: Yeah, that personal yeah. touch and that little bit of personal uh, story, and they can tie themselves in. And I bet you it's amazing to them that uh, so many people are so interested in that in that little town now and, and, and specifically in that home. That's fascinating. Now you mentioned the film and during the filming uh, of the, the atmosphere was like during the filming. But I was wondering, did, while you were filming that movie, a, a lot of times when people film horror movies, invariably there are stories surrounding the production and the set as well. I think some of the more famous mm-hmm. ones being The Exorcists and Omen as well. Uh, specifically, Poltergeist. The Omen. yeah, Poltergeist too. Uh, did you not? part two, I meant as well. Uh, Did you have anything happen around the filming? Did you ever hear of anything happening uh, during the filming of the movie?
3: Uh, Yes, actually quite a bit. Um, Not only from Joey King, who I did a press junket with uh, just prior to, uh, she played Christine in the movie, uh, and I went to Miami and did a 28-hour press junket with her where we talked to Uh, about 60 million people, um, between radio and TV. Uh, it was amazing. And while we were together being, you know, dragged all over in the back of a limousine, we had time to talk about it. And she told me a number of things that happened. I will only talk about the one that made it into the press because now it's out there. People can Google it and find out about it. But the night after, um, our family, uh, well, let me back up just a little bit and tell you my experience and our experience. Um, when we arrived at the set, well, first of all, um, all they, they called Rob Cohen, the executive producer called me and said, Andrea, would you like to come out to the set? And I thought, Oh, that'd be great. You know, I'd love it. And uh, I said, do you want any of the rest of my family? And he said, he almost fell off his chair you know, he was just shocked that (laughs) my family would come. Well, everybody agreed to come, and Warner Brothers made all the arrangements, and, you know, we, we came in from all different places in the country. I was, uh, I was up in Michigan. I had to drive down to North Carolina. My father and my sister Nancy came up from Florida, and everybody else was in Georgia. Well, at the last minute, my mother decides she's not going. Oh, no. At the very last minute, she's like, I'm not going. I've, I've changed my mind. I don't want to go. I don't, I don't want anything. No. I'm not going. And oh, my God, all hell broke loose here in this house, according to Christine. She's like, Mom, you can't stay home alone. Mom, you have to come. Mom, they're expecting you. Mom, they rented a room for you. Mom, you've got, you know, and she's like, no, I'm not going. Everything is telling me not to go. I'm not hmm. going. And so we, you know, contacted uh, nieces and, and nephews and said, stop in, check on your grandmother. We're going to be gone for a couple of days. And, and they left without her. Um, and so six of the seven of us went to the set. Interestingly, Lily Taylor at the last minute, the woman who played my mother decided that she didn't want to come to the set the day that we were there. Wow. Um, so the two matriarchs bowed out graciously and neither one of them could explain why. um, and, you know, it was, I, I we were surrounded by people. We had all the girls that played us that we were there and all the producers and James Wan. And I mean, everybody was there. It's, it's wow. you know, not so much that she was missed, but why she was missed right. and why she decided not to come. Um, and so that was strange. And then we had a nice lunch with everybody. And then they sat us down to do uh, an interview on the set. And we were, this was a a sprawling five-acre piece of property, the house and the grounds. And um, they set us up toward the very front where, in the movie, the school bus pulls up at the front of the property. Mm -hmm. And and, um, you can see parts of that interview are uh, on the Blu-ray edition of the DVD. Um, And then subsequently later, they came to the and interviewed my mother since she wasn't there. But during that interview, um, we, we kind of have a running joke in the family because we know, you know, it, it wasn't Bathsheba, and she wasn't, and not that she was the nicest spirit uh, or the nicest person in life, but she wasn't the one going after my mother. But because Mrs. Warren always said, it's Bathsheba, it's Bathsheba, I'm telling you, it's Bathsheba. You know, and, and so <laughs> we have this running joke in the family uh, called Bathsheba's Curse. And if anybody gets a hangnail or you know, the top of the axe falls off or you know, <laughs> I that's that's the patent answer. I would pass you this curse, you know.
1: <laughs>
3: and so um, Christine and I were standing in the back row with Nancy and um my father and april were in the front row and we're doing we're conducting this interview everything's going fine and all of a sudden a rogue wind on a perfectly placid day a rogue wind that was traveling probably anywhere from 50 to 60 miles an hour swept down over my family and all the the people that were filming us they had three ht cameras set up on us Um, my cinematographer was there filming it as well. Uh, I mean, it was just, it was amazing. All of a sudden this wind came, it started knocking the boons and it was, it was, uh, the cameras were falling. The microphones were, the big fuzzy microphones were swinging. I mean, it was just, it came out of nowhere. And I looked, I knew immediately I felt it. I felt it. I just knew. That it was supernatural in nature and I looked around the property and the, the, all those trees, all the leaves in those trees, nothing was moving. Everything was completely still Whoa. except right over us. That's and as crazy. these techs are are scrambling to save their very expensive equipment <laughs> right. and grabbing cameras and grabbing, you know, sound boxes and, and you know, everything that they've got there. Um, I kind of leaned forward, and I looked at Christine, and I said, Chris, that's Sheba's curse.
1: And she just (laughs) nodded her head.
3: She just nodded her head. And, I mean, they got it all on film. They decided, I guess, not to use it in the final cut because it really was that scary, and cameras were flying everywhere. But the next night, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, that about two hours later, uh, we get a phone call from um my niece Stephanie and she said grandma fell, she broke her hip, she's in the hospital come now. Oh no. And we had all of our cell phones turned off and my mother was in this house alone and she she went to the door to answer the door and she tripped or she she said she was pushed. She felt that she had been pushed
1: Really? and
3: she went down and she screamed. And the woman that was at the door opened to the door and called the ambulance and, um, just a neighbor coming for sugar or something. Right. And, um, and my niece happens to be on her way to the house to take her grandmother out, her great grandmother no, her grandmother out to dinner that night. And she arrived just as the ambulance arrived. So she went to the hospital with my mother, and my mother was in such bad shape that they couldn't sedate her and do the surgery until the following day. Wow. Um, She was a mess, and uh, we had to leave the set immediately, uh, go get packed, and we left at the crack of dawn. The doctor said, you know, don't come right away. Don't drive all night to get here because uh, we can't do the surgery until tomorrow, And um, so we were driving back to uh, two cars, driving back from Wilmington, North Carolina uh, to Atlanta. And we all five of her daughters um, went straight to her hospital room. And two of my nieces, her doctor, her nurse uh, and an attendant were in the room. She had just come out of surgery. She was completely sedated. And when we came into the room, she sat bolt upright in bed and looked me straight in the eye, and she said, Annie, Bathsheba's curse. I have not felt that presence in more than 30 years. She doesn't want to be
1: exposed.
3: Wow. And she laid back down and went right back to sleep. She has no recollection of it, but we have numerous witnesses that she said what she said, and she has absolutely no memory of it. But uh, there's no question in my mind that it was a message being imparted, and um, and subsequently, sometime after that, I had a spirit box session with Bathsheba where we got all of this worked out. And I told really? her flat out, my mother is not your target. Don't you ever do anything to hurt her again. If you've got an issue, you've got it with me, not her. Right. And we've come to terms. We have come to terms. I've wow. done some sessions with her at her gravesite. Uh, I've done some sessions with her with George Lopez uh, you know master of spirit box um, and uh, and now I have my own spirit box and I have my own conversations when necessary
0: Wow All right, excellent but well, I hate to be the uh, to put the brakes on this real quick but we have just passed our halfway mark I actually overshot it by a few minutes but you know what definitely did not want to interrupt that that was fantastic just unbelievable the type of interactions that spirits can you know have and how they can actually you know, influence us for for lack of a better term but with that being said you're listening to us in one of two locations if you're listening to us during our live show you're either hanging out with us at livingparanormal.com forward slash live that's the home of our weekly show where you can come and hang out in our wonderful chat room and of course get your questions answered by our guest of the day. If you're uh, listening to us and you're not there, you might be hanging out at FreedomRocksRadio.com. FreedomRocksRadio.com is home of some of the best online DJs. They will play your requests. You don't have to be stuck with what some suit somewhere in Japan says is a good feed for you. Jason, where else can they find us? Well, if you're interested in hearing
2: some of our past shows, all you have to do is go over to www.livingparanormal.com, click on past shows, and there you can peruse at your leisure over 118 episodes of audio from a wide variety of guests covering a huge wide array of topics. Uh, if you have a favorite guest in mind, want to see if we have somebody that's been on the air on our show before, simply click on the search. If you scroll down, click on the search uh, box, line, whatever you call that that I suddenly forgot.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> type Us being the consummate professionals. Yeah,
2: totally. This, I'm, I'm a professional. The, the search rod.
0: line thingy at the top. Do, do not try
2: talking. this at home, okay? It's... <laughs> <laughs> just click in the search type, hit enter, and uh, the guest will come up, the episodes they've come up in, in addition to any of the books that have been mentioned on the show. Uh, if you want to follow us on Facebook, you can definitely do so over at Facebook.com slash Living Paranormal Show. Don't forget to add the word show to the end of that. Otherwise, we're not responsible. where it takes you to the land of flying toasters, rainbow-colored kittens. We have no idea where that goes. So just letting you know, Living Paranormal Slash show and I almost said something completely different there, there, there too. There's no slash there, 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 there's, there's no slash, slash. the living paranormal show. Wow. Wow Rob Jeez, I'm losing you, it. You get back on, I'm Come losing on back. it. Come back to me, Either buddy. way. You can
1: do this. <laughs> if you want to f-
2: this if, if, set the mechanism. <laughs> you know? If you want to find our, our uh Podcast. All you have to do yeah. is type into your favorite podcast aggregator, Living Paranormal, and we'll come right up there. And Rob, please save me from any more of my own personal embarrassment because I'm unable to do our <laughs> stinger. All of a sudden, I've done it hundreds of times, but I can't do it today. But actually, you oh, know, I'm, I'm
0: sorry. Just, I'm just enjoying the show right, right now. Yeah, point, thanks. It's just entertainment. Thanks. Pure entertainment. <laughs> yeah. If you have ever wonder what it sounded like when a blog, a blogger, or a radio host kind of loses their way on the air, this was it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Completely.
2: <laughs> now I'll take a bow. Now if you are uh, interested in actually contacting us, if you want to be a guest on the show, if you have a show idea, if you have a question, uh, by all means, send it over to contact at livingparanormal.com. Or you can actually go to our About Us page, scroll to the bottom, hit enter, have type in your name, clickety-clack, and send it on over to us. We'll get that message from you right away. And we will reply over to you. But thank you all so much for tuning in tonight, of course, here on Living Paranormal for our first half it has been wonderful man rob i i just i'm Amaz- just sitting here in wrapped <laughs> amazement I know, I know. right, right.
0: <laughs> i want to get back to a question though that was asked a little bit earlier so if you're ready andrea i'd like to i want to cover this before it gets too far out of my chat range here and honestly i've got the memory span of a fruit fly anyway so it's kind of rough all right so uh, um do you happen to know and this was asked by kim in the chat room earlier about how long the actual filming took for the the production of the movie
3: uh, it took a year to write the screenplay. It was sent back seven times. They were told to tone it down uh, until they were satisfied that it would be something palpable. Um, and then it took, I believe, three and a half months to shoot it. Uh, they not only used the house that you see in the film, the exteriors, mm. that's all. That's where we were um, when we went to the set. Um, and uh, they also built the house uh, the inside of the house duplicated it on a soundstage in Wilmington uh, as well. So all the inside shots were done on the soundstage. All the outside filming was done uh, on that set. Um, and But to finish answering your question before, uh, the things that happened to members of the cast, Yes. the one thing that went public, um, the night after we left to come back to Atlanta to take care of my mother, um, the, a fire started in the hotel where the entire cast and crew was. And oh, at no. 2 o'clock in the morning, they were all out in their jammies standing in the parking lot watching their hotel burn. Um, wow. and, and nobody could figure out, you know, what happened. Uh, they, they never found a source of the fire. Um, and considering that fire is uh no pun intended an elemental part of our story <laughs> um, you know when you read the when you read the books it's a, a subject that comes up over and over and over again. There were three different incidents where our house should have burned to the ground and it didn't. Wow um, it, yeah just really bizarre bizarre things with fire. Uh, happened, and supernatural fire as well, which is, um, um, you know, pretty uh, intense in its own right. Right. Uh, So, uh, yeah, we we thought that it was very interesting that that should be uh, how how things manifested. And to my knowledge, to this day... They never determined what the cause of the fire was.
2: Man, that's they something.
3: They took the yeah. entire crew of The Conjuring out of that <laughs> hotel
1: that night.
2: That's really interesting. That's fascinating. See, it's those little things that you never hear about, the the, the production that I love to hear about. Now, uh, there's actually, I have two quick questions for you. One of them is going to be real quick and simple. <laughs> the second one may be a little longer. The first one is, did y'all really play that clapping game? Where did that come from? Is that something that y'all actually played? Because I had never heard of <laughs> I that. I
0: wondered that, too. Hide yeah, and yeah clap. that's new to me, also. Yeah. Was pondered in the mind
3: of two screenwriters.
0: Okay, thank you. Um,
3: because <laughs> they uh, they knew that we played hide and seek in the house, mm. and that we had some very intense things happen uh, right after we moved in. Um, and we figured out pretty quickly that that wasn't a safe game to play in the house. Uh, so they, because they had read the book, they took that, incorporated my mother into it which she never was. She was busy, you know, trying to set up a new household. Right. Um, And uh, it was the dead of winter, and so her kids were finding ways to keep themselves preoccupied playing in the house. But we had some experiences doing that that were downright dangerous, and we found out that it was safer to take our flying saucers and slide down the back hill of our farmhouse into the stone wall at the bottom of it <laughs> than it was to play
1: hide-and-seek in the house.
0: Wow. I, I, I've got to ask this. I'm sorry, but it, it, would you care to elaborate a little bit on the dangerous type of thing that happened with with the hide-and-seek? Because that really kind of caught my attention.
3: Um, one of the things that happened was Nancy went uh, to hide behind the chimney uh, in the morning room, and the morning room also factors very heavily into our true story. Um, and she had an incident back there where she got uh, very, very cold. Um, she, she couldn't move. She couldn't breathe. She, felt, she said she felt like she was in some kind of a pressurized vacuum, uh, what Cindy wow. later discuss, uh, describes as being in the bubble. And she felt like she was being pressed, uh, that her body was being pressed from all sides, that she was literally being forced, into, uh, you know, a, to actually take up a smaller space on Earth than she did. <laughs>
1: wow. And
3: um, and she couldn't. She was panicking. She couldn't breathe. And when she finally broke free out of there, um, she tried to open the door to the boarding room, and the door would not open. And she was pounding on it and screaming and screaming for somebody to come get her out of there. And nobody heard her, and we wow. were in the same room.
2: Yeah, that is definitely reason enough to go slide into a brick wall. I think that, yeah. <laughs> that's terrifying. I would not want to I would not want to uh, relive that moment in any way. Uh, the other question I had for you, and thank you so much, by the way, for, for answering that, because I was like, hide and clap. Who does that? That's amazing. That's an interesting yeah, idea. I, I, now I don't want to play it
0: as well, and I'm, I'm East Coast as well, and I'm like, I've never heard of this. Where was this when I was a kid? We were not that imaginative. Yeah. You know? <laughs>
2: Unfortunately, I don't want to play it now because I'm kind of scared to close my <laughs> close eyes and clap <laughs> because of the movie. But uh, so well done. Well done on that. But the other question I had was, you've mentioned, previously when you were talking about the spirits uh, in the home, and when I specifically asked about Bathsheba, that she was not the entity that you believed was attacking your mother. Do you know, or have you been able to ascertain which specific entity it was that seemed to be attacking your mother? If you don't mind explaining that, I'm not sure if you want well, to get too much into it.
3: Um, the old, old gentleman that we met, um, Mr. McEachern, who was, you know, not. I, I don't think he was the official town historian, but he did share a lot of the town's history with my mother. Um, and, and he is the one that told my mother that um, Mrs. John Arnold uh, uh, decided to hang herself in the barn at the age of 93 uh, in the late 1700s um, and that she was taken down um, uh, to the corner. And something, I don't know, something happened in the town, according to him. Something happened where she was allowed to be bar- buried in hallowed ground, even though she had claimed her own life. Um, and she was buried in the Arnold, I'm mean, in the old Arnold Cemetery, uh, back when the property was thousands of acres. Um, it's actually more than a mile away from the farm, yeah. um, and it's owned by other people now. Um, but it is a historical cemetery buried in the woods. Uh, and she um, she was uh, we, you know we don't know for sure none of the spirits ever walked up to us and said hello my name was oh, right uh, you know it, it's but uh, based to uh, discern from you know the shards and fragments of history that were recorded uh, back in the 17 and 1800s uh, what she was able to discern was that it was more likely. Mrs. Arnold, uh, than it was Bathsheba Sherman, who was not, um, born until 20 years after Mrs. Arnold perished. Um, uh, she was, whoever it was, uh, was a female, absolutely, um, dressed in, uh, there's a detailed description, uh, of the dress that she wore when she approached my mother. Uh, she approached my mother twice. Uh, she approached my sister Cindy once, and she approached my sister Christine once. Um, and I saw her in uh, a lucid dream or some kind of sleep paralysis as it was happening. So I saw her as well. Um, but uh, she uh, clearly, clearly had a broken neck. Mm-hmm. Bathsheba did not. Um, she had a head that looked like a hornet's nest, a desiccated hornet's nest, uh, with sprigs wow. of hair coming off the, the scalp, uh, like a massive cobweb, two hollow, vacant eyes, two holes for the nostrils, and a set of very thin lips and jagged yellow teeth. And that is the apparition that was face-to-face with my mother on more than one occasion.
0: And that's wow. a very
3: a that threatened vivid. her.
0: Right. And that's a very vivid description. I mean, that's not something that she was just catching a, a brief glance at. That's a very—you have to have some time to look at an image for it to be that detailed in a mind.
3: Yes, absolutely. And um, she hovered over my mother, and she threatened her and said, "Well, um, twas mistress once afore ye came, and mistress here will be anon." will drive ye out with fiery broom, will drive ye mad with death and gloom. Wow. She threatened my mother, told my mother to get out of that house, and that the language usage was closer to Middle English, which was 1700. That kind of English was out of favor in the 1800s, which right. had been modernized. So, But the thing that was happening to my mother was that she was uh, being what Mrs. Warren called oppressed, that there, was a, uh, that there was an entity that, if she couldn't get her out of the house, um, apparently sensed some threat uh, from my mother, um, and she perceived herself to be mistress of the house, and my mother was infringing on her, on her um, property. And she coveted us, the five children, and she lusted after my father and approached my father repeatedly. Uh, in the basement. She was the reason why he finally had to admit that he was indeed having experiences in the house, because she would come and run her bony fingers across the back of his neck and down across his shoulders uh, whenever he went down to pick something in the the cellar of the house. And the thing that's very interesting is that uh, none of the mechanical devices that were in the cellar, the well pump or the heater or any of the other Devices. Nothing ever broke down in that house while my father was out doing business on the road. Nothing ever did. Interesting. Except when he was home. Interesting. And he was available to go down there and fix it. And that's when he would have his encounters with our...
0: That's a very, very direct approach, too, and that, that leads just a whole new level to this story because I, I know Jason, Jason and I are both experienced, seasoned investigators, as I like to put it, and we hear common stories like this from time to time, but it never ceases to amaze me how common this does seem to become where an ethereal entity or something from the other plane will get some type of a – I'm going to call it an unnatural attraction or an attachment to a living being in a home. Yes, and yes, how, how long did absolutely. that type of how long did that type did that type of thing continue with your father? Is that something that just kind of died down, or is was this like a, in the entire time that you guys were there?
3: Um, it started. Um, it started right around the time with him, uh, uh, a few months after uh, the first time that she appeared to my mother. And, uh, and it persisted for the entire time that we lived at the house, uh, with him.
1: <laughs>
3: Excuse me. Certainly, uh, but my throat was dry. I go get a drink, and then I cough. You know, it's like, oh. <laughs> but that's what I was trying to avoid. You
2: see. <laughs> no problem. Um, we call that the
0: Jason <sighs> effect. That's actually the Jason syndrome. It happens on the show constantly.
2: <laughs> well, let me let me uh, let me follow up with that question that Rob asked because I was interested about your father. You mentioned that he was a he was, a, he, was a, he was a bit of a not so much a skeptic of religious beliefs because he was, of course, very religious, but of the Warrens. And I was wondering if his opinion of the Warrens changed during the course of their investigation that they did in the home?
3: Well, let me put it to you this way. Um, there was no exorcism in our home. There was a seance that went very badly wrong and almost cost my mother her life. And it was foisted upon my parents by the warrants, who absolutely insisted that it was necessary that my mother, was under oppression, that she was dressing in dark vintage clothing, that she was speaking in archaic language, uh, using words like yeoman um, to describe uh, the men in town. Um, You know, my my mother was changing, there's no question. John Bassett has got a, a tape that Ed Warren gave him of an interview that he did with my mother, and she sounds completely different at the beginning of it than she sounds at the end of it. It's absolutely chilling beyond measure. You can't even imagine. Um, so, you know, I, I I, lived with that. I saw my mother's gradual decline. Um, all of us in the family did. Uh, the only time that the spirit ever abandoned my father was one time that she scared him so badly that he yelled at her, and then she wouldn't come near him for about six months. She wouldn't come anywhere near him um, and until he apologized which is indicative of intelligent interaction right. uh, between the spirit world and and mere mortals, um, you know, which in itself is absolutely fascinating. We could talk for an hour just about that concept alone. Um, but I will tell you that uh, the Warrens meant well. I believe that the Warrens meant well, mm-hmm. that they... They did not, they did more harm than good, but they didn't mean to. They were in over their heads right from the inception, right from the moment that they crossed the threshold of the kitchen door. They did not know what they were dealing with in that house. And what they did was, in their attempt to make things better, they brought a priest and a medium named Mary Pastorella. And a film crew and an audio crew and a whole bunch of people showed up at our home one night in August of 1974. My father had just come. He was not a truck driver. He had his own business, and he was out on the road a lot. Um, And he had just come home from a long trip. He did not want them there. He made that, you know, patently clear to everyone that he did not want to be interrupted. All he wanted to do was put his feet up and watch the Red Sox game. That is all he had <laughs> planned for that evening. That was it. And when they showed up, he was livid because they had called ahead. You know, of course, it was the days before cell phones and stuff right. and asked my mother if they could drop by. But they never told her that they were bringing an entourage with them. Wow, And so when they came, my mother panicked. She told us to start calling our girlfriends and see if there was anybody that we could go stay with for the night. Because something told her that, you know, based on, on my father's mood at the time and and the amount of people that they brought with them to the house that night, she wanted us out of the house. Well, Nancy was the only one that could find a place to go, and the other four of us were in that house that night. And the first thing I have to say is that none of us should ever have seen what we did that night. That was the height of irresponsibility. It should never have happened. And then I have to discuss the fact that the medium threw wide open the door to the netherworld during a seance that was forced upon my parents. I mean, Lorraine looked at my father and said, if you love your wife, you'll let us do this. Oh, wow. I mean, it was very intense. It was very bad. Uh, Paranormal Witness actually did a pretty good job uh, in in their treatment of it when they did their their piece on our family. Uh, If anybody can find that if they missed it. But um, it was last October um, of last year is when it aired. But still, no one has has done this justice yet. I'm writing the screenplays for all three of the books right now. I've got a director, I've got a producer, I've got a company, I've got everything that I need to do this. This story Will go out on film. Well, you also truly. you also have a ticket
2: um, sold because I'm gonna watch whatever that movie is, <laughs> whenever it comes out. I, I hope it's gonna be on on your site. I hope he, we we find out more about it because I'm gonna be stay tuned for that. We get those those screenplays made because I, I want to see that that movie there as opposed to what absolutely. Hollywood gave us. I mean, it, I. I well, I enjoyed the movie, The, the Conjury. It's a great movie. It was chilling in certain parts, which is rare for a modern horror movie to actually be scary in certain parts. And right. it, did, it did a very good job for that. And as you said earlier, it was the movie that had to be made at that time. But I would love to see an honest treatment of a true oppression because it's so rare that you get that. As you said earlier, mm-hmm. they took things out because they want to tone down the intensity. That's what we hear every single time we talk to somebody that has had their story made for tv or film production we always hear that bill bean mentioned that uh, it, that his brother's stories were taken out of his his particular uh, episodes on a haunting uh, we we've heard chris de even talking a little bit about and, and it's funny because you're uh, the entity i wouldn't say funny as in haha but funny as in strange that your entity actually uh, is similar to chris de uh, entity in uh, geneseo state college up in new york and i thought that was that was yeah. fascinating as well
3: Yes, um, I had my hands all over that man a couple of weeks ago. (laughs) We were at at the Ocean State Paracon, and we just couldn't get enough pictures and hugs and loves together. I mean, it was just, uh, I'm so drawn to Chris. He's such an enormous spirit in in his own right. And uh, we have a secret little project that we're working on together. that uh, is, is just personal between us, somebody that we're working together to help a, uh, a young man. And so um, he came over to my table, and he said, you know, you want to write him a note or something? Oh. I was like, oh, my God, yeah, let me get him a care package together, <laughs> you know. And, and so, you know, we, I sent him bookmarkers and uh, stuff, goodie bag. I sent him a goodie bag with oh. stuff, one of my mugs, you know, I, stuff like that, just to, to make the kids smile. And uh, so, yeah, Chris and I were hanging heavy a couple of weeks ago at the Ocean State Paracon. He is a great human being. Um, and, yes, you know, he and I have talked about these things, um, and there are some striking similarities. I find comfort in the striking similarities um, because what it does is it vindicates and validates our own experience through other people um, that have had like experiences. Right. Uh, I think that the, the, uh, the spirit realm, first, first of all, I don't think there is such a thing as a veil. I think that, uh, you know, the the Warrens waited two months to come to our house after Keith Johnson told them that we were in trouble, and then later confessed that the reason that they waited to come at Halloween was because, because they thought that that was the time that the veil was the thinnest, and that they would be able to have a better chance of seeing some type of manifestation. And what they didn't understand that was, at least as far as our family was concerned, and that farmhouse was concerned, there was no veil. Anything could happen at virtually any time of the day or night, any day of the year. You know, it was, it was not wait for something to happen, you know, unless you're willing to wait a few minutes,
1: you know. <laughs> right.
3: <laughs> it was uh, an extremely, extremely active house to the extent that we got used to it. You know, things would happen routinely, um, and I choose that word deliberately, um, because, uh, I mean, it, uh, just a case in point. One day uh, we had this, uh, we had a, a, a young woman uh, spirit in the house, and uh, we would get in trouble because my mother didn't want the straw broom kept anywhere near the black stove, which was burning a lot of the time. Right. She wanted it where the, in in the back of the utility closet where it belonged, And yet the the broom would be out and, and tucked right, you know, very neatly laid beside the black stove. And we'd find a little pile of dirt in the middle of the kitchen floor. Well, it was a farm. Of course, we were tracking stuff in all the time. (laughs) It was a
1: farm, (laughs) you know,
3: and we had horses and cows and, and pigs. And, you know, I mean, it, it was, it was, it was a farm, you know? Of course, <laughs> yeah, exactly. the floor was dirty. <laughs> exactly. Well, the, uh, the spirit t- took exception to that, and she wanted the, the kitchen floor swept. So if we didn't do it, she did it. And it took a while for us to figure out that when the broom was put beside the black stove, that it was her. Well, one morning, Cindy was running through the house to go get her books. And or uh, to run run to get to the bus, the bus was at the front of the house, and it was waiting. and she was running through the house, running through the kitchen, and she turned, and there was a full body manifestation of this spirit. and she was sweeping the floor with our broom. Wow. she was in oh, another wow. realm using a piece of equipment from our realm sleeping the floor. And Cindy looked at her and said, fine, you do it. I'm late for the bus.
1: <laughs> just
2: please put it back where you found it. Please. Just yeah, put it and back. please
1: put it back in the utility <laughs> closet. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's, you know,
2: that's something else. So that is something. <clears throat> A complete aside, and I don't even know why I'm bringing this up, but it's funny because you mentioned that, and I always... Think I I keep thinking of the, the little bit of information I have in my mind about some of these things and there's actually a Russian spirit called a domovoy that specifically lives mm-hmm. within the kitchen and they get very upset if it's ever not clean if you if you leave mm-hmm. your kitchen dirty they can actually have bad luck and ill things maybe fall you and I kept thinking about it I was like oh that's kind of neat it's kind of like a domovoy but that's funny that she was actually able to
0: see it and she interacted with it in such a matter of fact way but Rob I think yeah it's just seen. like just mm-hmm. just like she was running into to one of the other family members at that yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. Kitchen, kind of sweeping. Yeah. I did want to point out that we had somebody say hello to you uh, in our chat room, Andrea. I just wanted to let you know that your brother says hello, and the brother is in quotation marks, so I'm assuming it's uh, someone you know, uh, Keith uh, Keith Johnson is hanging out with us here in here today, so he wanted us to send you a hello. So.
3: <laughs> oh, God, I love that man, and yes, he is. He is my spiritual brother, and I love him and his wife, Sandra, so much. I mean, you know, we to this day, uh, we don't understand exactly what happened or how. But there is no question in my mind that Keith and his brother Carl and the group that he showed up with at the farm in August of 1973 were absolutely supposed to be there. Um, he said that my mother called him um, and asked if, you know, they he had placed a little ad in the local paper Uh, You know, if you're having any kind of supernatural activity, you know, please call us. Maybe we can help, you know, that type of thing. And um, he said that my mother called him and asked him to come to the farm. Um, And he recognized her voice when he got there. My mother absolutely never called him.
1: Really? She never
3: did. She never called anyone. And when they showed up at the house, my mother thought that they were friends of mine from school. Um, Keith was only a few years older than me. At the time, he was a college student at Rhode Island College, and, and he went to a seminar that the Warrens were giving, and he's the one that told them that we were in a, a real predicament at our house, and he's the one that told them who we were and how to get there. Um, but to this day, we cannot explain who it was. That made that phone call that brought Keith Johnson into our lives, But whoever wow. it was, uh, whether it be mortal or spirit, whoever it was, um, I am eternally grateful because he is the most kind-hearted, most genuine, most loving human being that you could ever be privileged to meet. And yes, I do consider him my family, my brother.
2: You can actually feel the sentiments uh, in the chat room. He had mentioned a little while ago that this time of year especially reminds me of being in the Perone Farmhouse, for it was in August of 1973, a very warm and humid evening. And later on, he says, even in our first meeting, I felt as though I was part of Andrea's family. I felt such a strong connection. And which is when he asks that we uh, please tell her her brother says hello. So uh, him and Larry oh, Davidson okay. are in the room having a really interesting conversation. I hope they don't mind. We've been reading it along while we've been following along <laughs> with yours, and I'm trying to divide my attention here. I'm like, oh, this is this is wonderful, but um,
3: uh-huh.
2: we have about my we have tribe. A, yeah yeah you 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 roll deep. <laughs> as, as we, used to say. <laughs> <laughs> we we actually have about 25 minutes left in the show, and I think one of the important things to touch on. Is, is the currents, is the aftermath, is the now. Uh, and, and I'm I. one of the things is some people uh, will invariably be skeptics. A lot of people will be. And I appreciate skeptics. I always appreciate a skeptic because it keeps us grounded as well. Helps us remember, you know, why we're doing these things to help disprove, prove, and, and, and otherwise find reasons and explanation using empirical methods. But I, I've heard some say um, that, well, what do you say to somebody that says there's currently no activity in the home? There's nothing there. I don't see any evidence of I can't use the
3: happening. word on the radio. You, you, <laughs> you know what? We're uh, not. letters are BS. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> well, very elegantly stated, I might say, yeah. I'm sure the censors appreciate that one. Too. Yeah. <laughs> no yes. kidding. No kidding. But what what would you
3: say uh, to those well, people? Go ahead, sweetheart. I told you any any question, and so I know what you're going to ask me. Go right ahead.
2: No problem. Well, there was the, the current owner of the home... Uh, has actually uh, provided a bit of pushback, I suppose you could say, about the the stories that have been told about about the property, and uh, and and took exception, I think, to the to the movies coming out, and and I think it's a, a interesting uh, that the current owner has chosen to to make their feelings known on some of the shows and comments on some of the shows that I've seen you uh, take part in, and they've explicitly stated that uh, they don't believe in ghosts and that there's no activity happening right now. Um, well, what would you say to some to that particular comment
3: this is a very long story and it's longer than we have time to tell (laughs) suffice to say that norma sutcliffe and i were close friends for 28 years she was completely and utterly supportive of me writing the stories and telling the stories she wanted the house to be famous she also had a deal with Water Brothers that they reneged on in terms of filming the movie at the house, um, because when James Wan read my books, he said he wouldn't go anywhere near that place and decided to choose an entire, entirely different set. So she lost what she perceived to be a boatload of money because of that decision. Um, she also took great exception to the discrepancies in the film, and she, um, as, as if I had anything really to do with it, which I didn't. Right. I know being a consultant is meaningless in Hollywood-y. You know, they, they pick your brain for what they can, and then they do whatever they please with it. <laughs> right. Um, and so she knew that. Um, she went so far as to go to the national press and say that I never told her there was going to be a film made about the farm. She's the one that put me in touch with the producer who originally, uh, uh approached me uh-huh. about writing the screenplay. Um, he called her first and she's the one that said, you don't want to talk to me. You want to talk to Andrea Perrin. She's writing a book, blah, blah, blah. Gave him my number, called me. To, get, uh, to make sure uh, that it was okay for um, him to call me and then gave him my number. And that's how The Conjuring began, just like that. Um, she also... Oh, let me tell you how I met this woman. She walked into the front door of my restaurant in, I believe, 1988. I had a restaurant just outside of Providence, and she walked in the front door, recognized my business partner as someone she knew from her childhood, said, Gail, is that you? Gail said, Norma, is that you? And they had a little reunion right in the middle of lunch at, in, our, in our restaurant. And uh, I was standing in the back kitchen. There was a little window out. And I'm looking out, and I'm watching these two women talk. And then Norma says, you'll never believe it. I just bought an old haunted house. Up on Roundtop Road in Harrisville, I dropped the potatoes and the knife, and I was out in the front of that restaurant in three seconds because I knew exactly <laughs> what how she was talking about. Right. She ended up. Um, she and uh, very strangely ended up finding and putting money down on that house before her husband even knew about it, which is exactly what happened with my mother. Wow. Uh, my mother happened to be in the restaurant. She was a partner in the restaurant at, at two. And we sat and talked for hours that day. She knew so much of what had happened to our family, and she admitted that she bought that house because of its reputation, and she wanted to have a haunted house. She is also the one that invited ghost hunters and myriad other paranormal investigative groups into that house. I didn't even know until I saw the show that she had done that. Um, but, but Grant and, um, Jason Hawes and John Zappas got some great, uh, uh, film footage in the house that night. Um, she, uh, even admitted at the end of the film, well, I guess I do have a bona fide haunted house. Uh, she, she knew everything. We told her everything that had happened to our family. She was totally on board until the lunatic fringe started coming out of the woodwork around the opening of The Conjuring, and people were imposing themselves on on she and her husband and trespassing on their property, and they freaked out, and her way to deal with that was to say that our family was lying about everything. I have a minimum of six hours of B-roll, of her telling one story after another, after another, after another, of experiences that she's had in that house. I also have a stack of letters about an inch thick from people that have been to that house subsequently. She ran it as a daycare for years and years. I have stories from kids that were there. I have stories from employees that worked in that house. There is absolutely no denying. I have been completely consistent on the telling of our story for 40 years. And she is the one who did a complete 180 when the movie opened. Um, And that's the truth. And, and you know, I can go on and on and on and tell you a thousand different things that have happened, and about her surrogate flunkies who are, you know, supposedly parapsychologists who think that our family was delusional. I don't care. I don't care. Why would I have tethered myself to a computer for seven years during the prime of my life to the exclusion of all else to concoct One big, fat, elaborate lie. She's the liar, not my family.
2: Well, there you have it. There you have it. That is uh, eloquent and and definitely succinct explanation of that. I am sure by the passion I hear in your voice that you can indeed go on for quite some time on that. But thank you so much for answering that. That was something that was raised, and I felt like it needed a response, and I appreciate you taking the time to do it. And I do have to say, though. To all of you listening to the show today, I know we have a lot of paranormal investigators, both seasoned and novice that listen to the show, specifically the podcast download after the fact we want to feature locations such as this such as these these famous locations as well as the not so well-known locations because we want to is for your personal edification for you to be able to take the experiences of the people that have gone through these oppressions for, to, to take these not this knowledge and go forth and explore new locations and areas but please do not under any circumstances trespass on private property you're endangering yourself Thank you. You're possibly endangering yep. the lives of those on the property, and you do not want to put yourself in that legal situation. If you're going to be a professional about this, you have to seek the permission of the property owner, and trust me, you'll get a lot better evidence that way, so you might as well do it right to begin with. Do not trespass. It's not something we endorse, nor not something we, we enjoy hearing about. And it is a shame the way she, she responded to that. I can almost understand it, but at the same time, you're betraying friends that you have known for such a long time, and that is that's that's, yeah. that's, not the, that's not the way to handle it. Not cool. Not cool. No.
3: Well, she's doing yeah, Warner Brothers um, and some other people that she knows who found out subsequently who they were uh, that were trespassing on the property. Um, and, you know, she wants some kind of compensation. So she's motivated. Um, as disingenuous as she is about this is as motivated as she is about this. And you know what? I pray for her every day. I mean, there was a time that I loved this woman. And, you know, we, and I adore her husband. And, you know, it, it, this broke my heart that this happened. This was, you know, the last thing in the world that I ever expected was, you know, for her to, to, to turn on me the way that she did. Mm. And, you know, it, honest to God, it really was, um, uh, the most difficult part of this entire process. Uh, you know, I, I told her, I mean, she even came last year and disrupted the proceedings at the Ocean State Paracon. And, you know, we were there for a good cause, raising money for a good cause, and she came to cause the scene. And she did. Hmm. And it was very unfortunate, and it was very ugly, and, you know, and it was completely unnecessary. And, you know, for someone who says that she does not like the glare of the white hot spotlight, she does everything in her power to focus it on her as often as humanly possible. You know, so um, people can make their own determination and their own judgment about this, um, but, you know, to me... Words are weapons. Words declare wars. And she's put some stuff out into the world that has done irreparable damage to my mother, you know, particularly. I mean, my mother's already been to hell and back in this life. And nobody, right. nobody gets to, you know, disparage my mother without declaring war on my family. And, yep. and that's just how it is. And so I have dealt with this uh, through the right and proper channels. Um, I have dealt with this in uh, what I consider to be high road ways, considering, you know, I'm not willing to get down in the muck and the mire and wallow in this. I'm just not, because uh, her motivations and her intentions are her own. And um, I know what happened to our family. She knows what happened to our family in that house.
0: Um, And so I'll
3: just leave it at that.
0: Yep. Well, I'll tell you what let's let's not give her any more free publicity then we'll just kind of move on from this I did have another question to ask you though I, I do know from time to time when people live in this type of a situation in this type of a location they almost become a magnet for this activity did you ever after moving from that location in that home did any of those entities follow you to, and remain active <laughs> or did you run into any newer ones I mean
3: well let me put it to you this way. Once the door to the netherworld is thrown wide open, it never closes. Once you have been touched by spirit, uh, it is a a profound experience that opens your mind in inexplicable ways. When you can suddenly go from a three-dimensional, five-sensory realm into a complete, utter understanding that we actually live in a multidimensional universe and that there, are, there is not just residual haunting, residual energy, but there is actually conscious engagement and contact that can occur between that realm and our own. Uh, there is no veil. Um, if there was, it is shredded um, in those moments. And once you have an experience like that, you can turn your back on that door. You can pretend that door is not there, let alone open, but eventually something is going to reach through and tap you on the shoulder and remind you of its presence, make its presence known. And that has happened with every single member of my family ad infinitum since the day we moved to the farm. In fact, I live with a spirit now. I live in Florida um, with my, my dad. Dad's got a big, beautiful house down on Lake Apopka in Winter Garden, Florida, and I moved down there a year ago to take advantage of some um, uh, different events and that type of thing and to clear out of this house so that Christine could sell it, because she and my mom want to move down there, too. So, you know, slowly but surely, we're all making it down to Florida, but... Um, uh, when I moved in, the first thing I said is, Dad, you know the house is haunted, right? And he's like, yeah, I know. I said, you, you had to pick a haunted house, right?
1: <laughs> um, and then,
3: <laughs>
1: Really?
3: No really, you had to? And he's like, I guess I was attracted to it. I said, yeah, I guess. Um, there's a, an older gentleman uh, who uh, dwells in the house uh, who likes to make a big ruckus. Um, he doesn't like me particularly well. Um, thinks the world of my father thinks I'm just a bodacious, loudmouth, vulgar woman from the 21st century that he cannot handle at all. And so <laughs> we've butted heads a few times, although we've made peace. Uh, my friend Rick the uh, world-renowned medium was there a few weeks ago, and he kind of uh, worked things out, uh, as it were, between, uh, between all of us. Although I've been here for a couple of weeks now taking care of my sister after some uh, surgery on her leg. And my father keeps calling me, and he's like, all hell's breaking loose down here. I think he misses you. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I he gosh. gets loud. He gets I just, loud. I mean, he makes a ruckus in the house, sometimes 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, nice. It'll sound like somebody's breaking into the house, and it's just him. Wow. And it doesn't wake my father. You know, it just, I'm usually up writing because I'm a night owl anyway. But, um, you know, I mean, so loud that you would think somebody was taking a battering ram to the door. And it doesn't wake my dad up because he doesn't hear it. I do. And it's for my edification, it's for, you know, to get my attention. Um, And a number of people have had experiences in the house. But, yes, um, I'll tell you the moment that I knew that profound attachments had been formed. Um, in 1980, I was graduating from college. Uh, my parents had sold the farm to the abutting landowners. We were, some of us were heartbroken, myself included, because I never wanted to leave the farm. It's the only place I've ever felt that was home to me. And um, Cindy and a family friend had um, already uh, driven down to Georgia to the new farm um, and, uh, that my parents bought. And they brought the horses down ahead of all the furniture and the dogs and all the other animals that came with us. And so um, we drove down about two weeks after they had already gotten down to the house, and Cindy was readying the place for us. We pulled into the yard about just around dawn, uh, uh, the morning that we arrived after driving all night long. Um, It was a horrendous trip. It's in volume three. And... um, it had full uh, floor to ceiling windows on the front of the house and there was Cindy standing with a cup of coffee in front of the window watching us pull up into the yard with the uh, the big moving van and um there was an apparition standing directly behind her wow. and I knew then that it wasn't over, that it had really only just
0: begun. You yeah. know, I just had this funny image in my mind, Andrea. And please don't take any offense of this whatsoever. But when you talked about how how the house was picked out, just kind of had this picture of a guy walking through, going, "Okay, three bedrooms, check. Two bath, check. Laundry room, check. Ghost, check. Okay, we got it."
1: Yep, <laughs> I
0: got it. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, that type of setup. Well, let me yeah. ask you, because we're, we're getting pretty close to uh, pretty close to the end of the show right now. So I would like to know, um, you know, if somebody's interested in learning more about you, and uh, you know, are there any uh, good websites that you can recommend for them or uh, information as far as to uh, how to find you.
3: Uh, yes, actually, um, people can find out about me at my website, House of Darkness, House of uh, I'm easiest to find on Facebook. They can send me a personal message. I'm at my limit for friends. I got about 15,000 followers just on my personal page. But if they send me a personal wow. message, it goes to my other file, and I will answer them um, and uh, and integrate them in if that's what they would like to do. Also, if I could just take a moment, um, I've just released a fourth book uh, that I co-authored with George Lopez. Uh, it's an absolutely brilliant concept, nothing I could ever have come up in with my own imagination. Uh, but, um, you know, he gave me this concept and said, what do I do with this? I said, this needs to be a book. And uh, people can find it at uh, inaflickernovel.com, all lowercase, inaflickernovel.com. It's got a wicked paranormal twist to it, but mostly it's about one of the greatest serial killers of all time, and a whole new twist on why he was never caught. Nice. Um, oh. It's absolutely brilliant book. It has gotten nothing but five-star reviews from across the globe. I'm as proud of it as I am of the trilogy, House of Darkness, House of Light. Uh, people can find me everywhere, um, but do check out In a Flickr as well as the trilogy, because it is uh, in, in the same way, it's mind-expanding. It will change the way you think about everything. It really is a truly remarkable story, and I want to share it with the whole world.
2: Absolutely. And we will Fantastic. actually, and if everyone that's listening to the show right now, we are going to be providing links to uh, house of darkness, house of light.com in a flicker, novel.com uh, in our, uh, in the show notes for the show. Uh, in addition to that, if you want to find more uh, information or actually you want to find copies of the book, you can find them on any of the major booksellers. But if it's okay with you, Andrea, I'd like to put links to your Amazon uh, listings for your three novels. Uh, if in our, oh, that'd be great. Thanks, we like to put slides
3: yeah, on there, too.
2: Oh, excellent. Excellent. I will make sure to put that there as well. We like to provide a, a central location where all of our listeners can access the books, and we will be having that in our in our bookstore. Just as a reminder, everybody, we receive no proceeds from the sale of any of those books. They are only a link resource, and we provide them as a service to our listeners, so you are always able to access the media that's referenced uh, within uh, each individual show. But I do have to say, uh, Andrea, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. You're uh, you're always welcome back on the show. I'm going to speak for Rob, but you're always welcome back
0: on the show. <laughs> he, I, I re- he read my mind, Andrew. We, we've known each other for so long. We have this psychic link. Yes. I dumb myself down a little bit to get to his level, but it's okay. It works. <laughs> yeah. 16 years will do that to you. Uh,
3: well, I would be thrilled to come back. And, you know, we haven't even touched on my most favorite Topic of all, and that's extraterrestrial engagement with humanity. And I think that we should devote a couple of hours to that the next time, and our own spiritual ascension into the fifth dimension. Why don't we talk about that the next
2: time? Well, we're going to go ahead and get with you to book you for that. So let's (laughs) definitely will be. Would like to just
0: hang with us on the phone after we finish up here. I'll go ahead and see what we got available, and be thrilled to have you back (laughs) on again. You have been one of the most entertaining and engaging guests we've had in quite some time, so we do appreciate it for sure. So just kind to stick around with this for a few minutes but uh well jason it looks like we've had another amazing show amazing topics and an amazing story for sure i mean that's just a phenomenal run across the board absolutely um so yeah but we get to uh, come back again next week uh we're going to be starting at the same time with another fantastic guest and uh just have an amazingly good time with it as well so what do you think jason you want to call this one a Ab- uh, yeah,
2: absolutely, back. man. We actually came back on a very high note with the show that I've been looking forward to for so long, and it definitely did not disappoint.
0: Absolutely. I want to thank everybody who came out tonight and supported the show and in support of our guest, Andrea. She has been, just been phenomenal. We want to thank you guys, as always. We'll be back again next Sunday night at 9 p.m. with another edition of Living Paranormal. So for Andrea, for Jason Olivo, my name is Rob. You have a wonderful weekend. Adios.